podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Minefield Podcast from Anfield Index Pro, your sports psychology podcast where myself and Dr. Andrew Vincent break down all things the Mind and Liverpool Football Club. Andrew, how are you doing today? It's all things the Mind and VAR today. (laughs) (laughs) What else could we possibly talk about this week? Um, Yeah, well, we we just talked about talking about it and we're not going to talk too much about that so much of the incident and how it can affect the team and the mentality of the team. And um, that's good because, God, this is something I don't really want to talk about. Yeah, there's there's a lot of podcasts out there, a lot of discussion around it from every quarter. I did see something just there that uh, Lewis Dunk has been weighing in as well on, on the whole thing. And... We don't hear enough from Lewis We don't Dunk. hear enough from Lewis Dunk. <laughs> you know, this, that's about time he weighed in on something like this. But where I wanted to kind of go with you today, Andrew, was like if we look at the start of the season, we've, we've done well. We haven't played, you know, uh, not that we haven't played particularly well, but we haven't been as free-flowing as we were maybe in the title-winning season. But we've been grinding out results and there seems to be this sense of resilience within the team. And I think the match on Saturday against Spurs really encapsulated that in terms of like everything that could possibly go against us, (laughs) literally everything that could possibly go against us, went against us. But yet... The response of the fans, the response of the players, the response of the management directly afterwards was one of, that shows us that we're all in this together. How important is that? And linked to the challenges that we faced the whole way through, where we go a goal behind, where we've had men sent off. What does that all do to help? And how can it be harnessed by the coaching staff to become uh, an ally? Yeah. And, you know, I think it's interesting for me watching and just recognizing what's played out so far. It's the earliest I've ever given up on a season because I think what we need to acknowledge is there's no way we can win the fair play league this year. (laughs) We've got the four reds. (laughs) You know, it's over. We're not, we're not going to win fair play league, which is, I look, I keep track. I'm counting cards all year. I'm seeing where we're stacking up. I'm seeing who's playing fair, who's – we're out. So, you know, I guess just the league table for us to focus on. And in that sense, which I know is what you were actually asking about, um, 
for us to be sitting where we're sitting, having faced so much adversity at this point is a hugely positive thing. And so like, um, yeah, so we did a podcast on team building in the summer and Tim was really great. He talked about, um, forming, storming, norming and performing. And it's like, you know, we've managed to get some good results while also having a really significant storming phase. And like, you know, storming in some ways is about the conflicts and like responding to conflicts, but really it's about facing an adversity and figuring out how to come together as a group to respond to that adversity. And so, um, you know, we've done that and like, we've really shown like, Hey, we can stand up to a lot, whether that's coming from behind to win, which is a huge problem last year, whether it's playing down a person, whether it's, you know, playing without Virgil, playing without Trent, who, you know, I think you'd pick them out as key players, like responding to, um, you know, rumors around Mo Salah for a little bit and um, just different things. Like I think it just, part of what it does is just creates a real sense of like kind of being a little bit bulletproof is like um, whatever happens in this, we still have a chance, which is like when, when we were the mentality monsters two, three, four seasons ago, um, that was a lot of how it felt. And that was earned through the experience of coming back and having some amazing situations where we pulled things out. And now, you know, in a really short time, an incredibly short time because of how things have gone for us, you know, this group is going to start to believe that too. Like we can pull ourselves out of whatever situation we get ourselves into, um, which is great. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. And I think it's something that has been significantly lacking. And sometimes, external factors like those that we've faced with the sendings off are actually a, a massive benefit and look in order for us all to grow we need to have challenges and uh, everyone accepts that i think but challenges are hard challenges in the moment of the challenge are can feel sometimes like you're never going to overcome them and you can feel completely stuck in what you're going to do. But the big thing for me is that this team or this squad, really, they seem to to almost be able to look at it and go, we will find a way. We absolutely will find a way. And even with the Spurs match, uh, you know, the last 10, 15 minutes, I, I was really expecting us to score a goal now in the opposite end, but I, I wouldn't have been surprised if we'd won that match at all. Right. Um, no. and, and that is down to the, the players as much as the coaches. And mm. I'm wondering, does it look to you like Klopp has given autonomy to the players with this new leadership group? And do you think that is having a really positive impact and the, the players are responding to it? Or do you think maybe because we have, you know, the, the, the likes of Diaz, the likes of Nunes, they, Canate, they've settled in, they've got see, a season under their belt, they're feeling more confident, they're better understanding what's expected of them, they're better understanding of what it's like to wear the Liverpool crest on their shirt. Is that all... Mm -hmm important and significant or or are we just lucky that we've been down to 10 men and managed to sneak wins I think um, 
the Spurs game and that we looked like we could win that game and we looked like we could believe that we could win that game even when we were down to 10. When we were down to 9, we bunkered in pretty hard. I mean, there's still some, like, if we get a chance, we're going to look at it. But, like, you know, we bunkered in pretty hard with the 5-3 there, um, which was fun to watch in itself. But that game, when we looked like we could score, doesn't happen unless the Newcastle game happens. And... um I think that's a big deal. And I think if like we go back and watch the Newcastle game, you know, I don't think there's that same belief that in that game of like, okay, we will win this game or we can win this game. It's more of a, let's see, um, you know, like I, I think there were moments where absolutely we could have been put away there. Um, like it wasn't as galvanized a performance as Spurs was even when we were down. But I think that's part of it. Like you're learning about yourself, Right. And like, um, you know, you can do it this time or try it this time because you did it before. And so now we have that experience of doing it before. And so, you know, getting back to the part about like, is it Klopp giving more autonomy to the players? Like, you know, I don't know how much of it is Klopp, but I think there's a lot more space because so much of the previous leadership group was vacated. You know, so much of like Henderson's gone, Milner's gone, like, when you look at who's coming off the bench too and just how people are going to react to that, you know, like if the Newcastle game, let's say, like if all of a sudden Milner's coming off the bench, well, that feels really different than Harvey Elliott and Nunes coming off the bench. Like that sub feels like, hey, this is interesting. Let's do that. Or even Gravenberch coming off the bench, right? Like if Milner was on that bench, you better bet Milner would have been coming on at the end of the Spurs game instead of Gravenberch. Gravenberch comes on and people are like, okay, like we're trying to win this or like we could win this or like this is a different look. Whereas like if Milner's coming on, you're kind of like, cool, we're betting in and going to tally in another yellow card at some point in the next 15 minutes, you know? And um, so I, I, I think that might be the big difference, whether it's Klopp and, you know, the coaching staff or just. Um, you know, getting rid of some people means that the substitutions are sort of more hopeful and aggressive. It gives a whole different feel to the team. Like this group has now been through a couple things where it's like, oh, we can do this and pull ourselves out of this. I mean, we've come back from so many of the games where we've played kind of badly in the first half. And it's like, okay, well, we can figure out the second half like that. You know, hopefully we don't have to do that. Like, um, hopefully we don't get too many more red cards throughout the year. Hopefully we don't go down every first half and give away the first goal every game. Like, that would be a great habit to get out of. But it is nice to know that if we do that, it's not going to phase us. Yeah. And like with anything, the the more that that occurs, the... The more we believe it, the more we believe it, the more it occurs. So it's it's momentum, Andrew. It's momentum. <laughs> Don't say it too loud. Don't hear us and under pressure. <laughs> Do you think Dan Kennett's coming for He is, yeah. Do you think that there is a difference in Klopp? Are you seeing something different in him, or is it very much typical of how he's been, he just has different, I suppose, tools to unlock the, uh, or to, to do the job that he needs them to do. Um, 
I don't think I'm seeing something that I would say feels brand new in Quap. I think there's something that seems sort of refreshed. Um, but I, I think a lot of it has to do with the tools or even just this idea that like this is a fresh start. This is Liverpool 2.0, as he said. Like I'm curious for you, is like there's something in particular you're seeing that feels a little different from him or new from him or like he's made an adjustment? No. <laughs> I, I, I honestly think it is that he now has better tools to manage the different situations and challenges that are presenting themselves within matches. And he has players who he can bring on that can change the flow of a game, that they're not just betting down, trying to not concede another goal. And there are also players that the opposition don't really know all that well. Um, which also throws another spell on the works for, for the opposition. It gives them something different to think about. And we, we're not just relying on a trend pass to set up a mo goal anymore. We're getting goals from all over the place. And uh, I think all of our front five have scored this season so far. And I do think that with McAllister and, and Gravenberg, who I hadn't seen much of, I'll be honest with you. And, I've been really impressed by what he's done. He looks so calm and so fluid and so self-assured on the pitch that I think that's only going to improve as he goes. And I think, you know, look, we can all talk about Sabozlai. He's just been an absolute revelation. He's been fantastic. But we can't also take away the impact McAllister has had. He's really kind of slipped in under the radar and and very much... Is, is going about business in a, in a way that is very quietly effective and influential, even though it may not be as obvious as maybe Sabozlai. But, you know, maybe the fact that Sabozlai is six foot two and chiseled out of granite, you know, it, maybe that helps with the, the optics of it all. But I definitely think that. Klopp is probably seeing um, more opportunities, which is probably and and seeing the that the players can can actually fulfil the role that he needs them to fulfil. And I think, especially last season, maybe the likes of Milner, Henderson, Fabinho, Keita, Oxley Chamberlain, just weren't capable of doing what was needed of them anymore and it's not a slide on any of them just physically they weren't able to do it I guess like you think about Klopp's strengths too you know when you put it that way is like his belief in the people he's coaching his willingness to trust in the people he's coaching his willingness to see the best in the people he's coaching and give them the opportunities to do that you know one of our big issues in the past was that he gave Nabby and Ox, and well, maybe not quite Nabby, but he gave Ox and Henderson and Milner and Fabinho and different people chances to do that past the point where they could do that. And so, you know, it's like you take those same qualities of trust and belief and motivation, and now you put them into people who, um, you know, are ready to step into that, and it's a really different thing. You know, and I think Klopp is a better coach for people who are on the way up than he is for people who are at their peak or on the other side of their peak. And um, 
you know, I, I think that's probably part of what we're seeing here is just what he's really good at now also just clicks with these players in a totally different way because they're capable of something that he's putting them in the position for where, you know, the past few years, maybe we were relying on people who he still wanted to believe could do those things. That's his strength, right? That's what we want from him to believe that the people he's putting on can do those things, but they couldn't and they weren't. And so um, I think they recognized that as a, a group too, and brought in some, some new people who certainly are living up. It's fun. I think the the other big thing is that it's the people that he's bringing in haven't needed a huge amount of time to bet in. They, you know, Sabozle and McAllister definitely have hit the ground running. Endo's going to take a little bit longer, but I, I have no doubt he'll like the second half of that Leicester match. He looked, he looked like what I expected from what I'd seen of him coming in. Um, which was sufficient, absolutely sufficient, and he played quite well. And then, like I said, Gravenberch, I, I just have that feeling when I watch him play, he's going to be a really, really important player for us. So all those players coming in, they haven't needed the two months, three months necessarily of being kept away from the squad just to understand things. They're clearly capable, very capable, to just slot in and get up to speed very quickly. So that says a lot to, about their footballing intelligence as well. And talk to me a bit about, now that we're starting to see the changes in the leadership group, about how things can go stale and how cultures can become stale. And kind of, I, I really want to kind of lean into the the how that can happen without anybody really noticing it. Because it's not something like, is one day, yeah, we've got a great culture, next day, oh no, it's crap now. That's right. it. It, it. It's a very slow, gradual process. And that I, don't, I think sometimes we don't understand the nuances of. So what's your experience or observations of, of that side of things? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it starts often with success which is kind of like a weird thing to say, but like, you know, you have a moment where something's going really well and you overcome a lot. And that's what that, that group had done, had won everything, got really close to the quadruple, right? So like, I think if you were to go to the end of the quadruple season and say, hey, is this stale? Most people would have said, no, you're crazy. Like we almost won everything. You know, like we had a lot of good moments this season. Maybe we pick up a couple, pick out a couple people here and there who it's like, uh, like there probably needs to be a change here and they're not doing as much as they could, but like you just almost want everything. So like, um, then things don't go as well, but because you've just done so well, your thought is like, okay, like we'll turn this around. We'll have this group to turn around. Like I, I don't know about you, but like at the beginning of last season for me, I can remember watching a lot of bad games and just having this feeling like, oh, this is going to get better. Like without, like there was no doubt in my mind that it was going to get better, but it didn't. And then you kept feeling, well, this is going to get better. This is going to get better. And like that's somewhere in that period is where the staleness really starts because something has already gone wrong, but it's like your mind hasn't wrapped around this yet because you're still in this framework of 
this is going to get better because it always has in the past. And that that's, you can call it complacency if you want, but it's not necessarily because sometimes you need to give things that chance to get better and see them fail in order to recognize that it's not working anymore. Um, things are easy when you're doing well and things are harder when you're struggling. And that, that's something working with teams and working with groups in sports, like, um, it's not like you might have a kind of a bad culture, but if that group is winning, it's really hidden still, or it's not attended to, like, it's not, it's not bothering people. Like it's not always seeing teams with a really bad culture win isn't super typical, but like you can have issues in the culture. And when the group is winning, things will still function pretty well because morale is still high. So then when you have this time where something's worked really well for a long time, it stopped working, but you're expecting it to work again. You know, you have a certain group probably of people who are trying to do the same thing and repeat this process rather than evolve. And then you have people who are ready for something to evolve and change and grow into new roles who start to get frustrated. And like, that's often where now you've got some conflict that happens within the group. There's that staleness that exists. Some people are trying to recreate something. Some people recognize what's going on isn't going to work or feel like what's going on, what was working isn't going to work and want something new. And football is an interesting sport because you just have to wait till the season ends. You got to wait till the next transfer window. I mean, like you're not, it's not like a lot of the American sports where you've got like a trade deadline in the middle of the season. Like you could just ship out a bunch of players if you want and bring in a bunch of new ones and kind of shake things up. Um, and so I think by the middle of last season, everyone knew that it was really stale and that's why they changed some tactics and did some things differently. Um, that'd be my perception. I'm curious from yours because I know like you work with a lot of groups and group cultures too. Like what's your experience of staleness and like the recognition of it? Yeah, I think it has to become stale where you have to taste the stale bread for you to realize sometimes that the bread is stale. Um, and because especially when something has been working, we, we don't think about it changing. And we don't think about that. We, I think that a lot of football fans nowadays have had the, the rug pulled from under them in the sense that most or a lot of football fans out there will have grown up witnessing Manchester United and Arsenal have recurring turnarounds, but especially Manchester United, where they continue to get success and they change players and they continue to get, to get success and they change players and continue to get success. And that isn't always the way things work out. And in, a lot of the time, we only get groups of players for a relatively short space of time where they click and everything clicks and it all works quite well, as we saw. And what we saw is something more realistic to how things were before the Manchester United dynasty. And Chelsea came along then and they just spent so much money. And Manchester City have done the same. They've come along and spent so much money, which has allowed them to keep that going. But that isn't typically what will happen. So with groups, there is going to be staleness. And it's hard sometimes to to see what are the ingredients that are causing it to be stale. So with any of the groups that I work with, you can't just turn around 
and look at one person most of the time and go, that's the reason. Because usually it's not just one person. It is complacency, it's familiarity. And, you know, that phrase familiarity breeds contempt happens as well. Then somebody starts to do really well and there's a shining light and all of a sudden they know that they're one of the big guns in this group and that they have the voice and they can say what they want and they've earned it. Oh, they've earned it. And no one dare kind of say anything against them. And I think all that happens. And that is where a a manager or a head coach or a sports um I was going to say sports psychologist. I was giving you kudos there, Andrew. But a sporting director will be able to come in and see that and kind of look, well, we need to change things up. But in order to change things up, we need to not kind of knock it to the ground, but we need to sometimes make ruthless decisions that to the outside don't look like they are the right thing to do or it may be shocking. But Ultimately, for the long term, it is like accepting fifteen million pounds from a Saudi club for Jordan Henderson. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's important too. Like, um, you look at Klopp's experience across his career and his attempts to solve a problem that he faced last time, and so he made his really good Dortmund team. And the downfall of his Dortmund team, we can talk about the similarities with last season and what was going on there, but actually the downfall of his Dortmund team was Bayern Munich and buying all of their players, right? They, they, he lost all of his best players. And so when he hit his level of success at Liverpool, he clearly made it his priority. In order to keep this going, we can't lose our best players. Who are our foundations? And we keep them. And probably what he's learned from this particular version is um, he went a little too hard with that. And maybe only a little too hard. That's the thing. Because there was only one bad season. There was a season where we could have won everything. And then a season where we were as stale as could possibly be. And I think, God, it would have been impressive if after winning almost everything, he was like, cool, Roll the, roll the dice, you know, like, let's get everyone out. You know, we would have been like, what is he doing? Right? Like, we would have, we would have wondered, what is this? How could he have known? That's not an experience he had before. Actually, like, he had said, we got to keep this group in place. And he was almost right. They had already started making some changes, just not total wholesale changes. And, you know, he rolled the dice on that midfield group coming through in a way that maybe a lot of us predictably thought it won't, but like, um, you know, he rolled the dice on that rather than rolling the dice on changing everything up at once. Um, and so, you know, I, I think probably he learns from that now, but probably like for a lot of us and like, I don't know, like I'm not super old and long in the tooth, but like, I imagine like I'm going to feel most prepared to be great at my job right about the time I'm ready to retire. <laughs> And like, I think that'll probably be true with Klopp too, is like, um, you know, he will have been through all the experiences and know how to navigate them and be ready to, to deal with them and probably um, right when he's ready to leave. And like, you can't know until you know. And I think 
you, you've hit the nail on the head with all of, all of what you've just been saying. Like he can't, it's not as, as easy. And it's easy for us fans to say that player is the problem, that tactic is the problem. But that's just our observations. And we're not the ones who, if we were to make those decisions and they go wrong, have our head on the chopping board. So we need to have a bit of recognition that that is the case sometimes, that it's it's not as easy as we think to be a, a top-level coach. But to to if we look at what they were trying to do the summer after we nearly won everything, they tried to get probably, you know, who the guy who's turning out to be, you know, the the best young player in the world right now in Jude Bellingham. And it didn't work out. And they tried to get too many and that didn't work out either. And for us, we want them to get the next player in. We want them to get the, the number two, the number three. But that isn't always available and it's not always an option. So even Klopp could see that there was a need to change things. But for whatever reason, and we can speculate all we want, we don't know, it didn't pan out. But look at what we've got this season and the difference that makes. And anything about Sorry, I was just thinking, you think about how close we actually were to getting Chimene in by all reports and how different our season might have looked last year if we did. And, and maybe it wouldn't. Now, it probably would. But, but he, you know, he, he was not eight, what, 18, 19 when we were looking to sign him. It's a huge amount of responsibility to put on a young lad's shoulders. And, you know, if we look at what, what Real have done with him, they've kind of bedded him in slowly not just throwing them in like they did with Camavinga the season before. So, you know, we, we were hoping and it didn't work out that way and that's all right. But I do think if we look at Klopp, he's not oblivious to things. And I, I think he is excited. That's maybe the the difference that he can make in-game changes, he can make t- 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 tactical changes before, during, and after a match, and he has the players there who can actually execute the thing. And to me, that's the difference. He looks excited, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think um, we all know he loves being the underdog. Yeah. Yes, he does. That is a position he thrives from. And I think, you know, we've talked for a long time, like he's a patient, patient to a fault. And I think, you know, something I take from it is like patience is a great thing to have with younger players and maybe not so great once these guys start turning my age, you know, like uh, at that point, you know, having patience, you're probably seeing about what these people are capable of, what these guys are capable of. So, um you know, that's it's just another way where the qualities that he have are a better match for a team that's on its way up than a one that's at the top. Um, and maybe he's learned a bunch from that. But at the very yeah, like it's been cool to watch him make tactical changes because there was a while where it just sort of seemed like, oh, he must not be very good at that. You know, he's kind of bad at substitutes and making tactical changes, which is like not what his whole career has shown, but kind of what last season seemed like is like um and so it's interesting for you to point that out is like, 
yeah, maybe he felt a little hamstrung there too. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> we sit back and we watch. And yeah. it's 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 a fun ride, Andrew. Like this this season has this been year. fun. <laughs> not all like not always wonderful, but it's been fun and interesting to to experience so far. It has definitely been interesting. I mean it's funny because like to be when Jones got sent off against Spurs. Like one of my best friends is a Spurs fan, so like we were messaging back and forth during the game. And I said to him, I don't think there's any way we finish this game with ten men. Really? But I was like, I don't think I I don't think we're gonna get through this game with ten. I think we're gonna end with nine. So it's your fault. And uh I <laughs> it was my fault. It was my fault. Um I don't know why, it just kinda of felt like that. Like this was someone was going to get, I thought we'd probably get another straight red, but like, um, yeah, you know, I, but I, I think we've got this new group. Clearly this group has a ton of potential and we've been thrown a real lifeline in some way, not even a lifeline, just a bonus by having this adversity so early in the season in a way that we've been able to overcome and the amount of belief that that's going to build in this group that they can achieve these things is huge. And so as much as, even the Spurs result, like, we're not happy with it. We don't like the red cards. But, like, um, I would rather have that happen now and have them learn from it now and feel like, okay, now we can go into our next game and, like, oh, this is easy. There's 11 of us here. Um, you know, like that, to feel like we can bounce back from anything, that's going to serve us well over the course of the season. So happy to have it now. And it hasn't cost us too much in terms of the table has cost us in terms of the fair play league, but I think we'll sacrifice it. Andrew, thank you so much for your insight today. It's been, uh, it's been a good one and we are very excited to see where things go. Subscribers, thank you for listening. Thanks for your ears and uh, we'll catch you next time. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.